I don't know if you have seen it. Now, I'm adapting a something I read, all right, in a magazine. It's about a new church who just opened its doors in a new area of town. It said something like this. We are the light church, L-I-T-E. We beat our competitors in all of their perks. For instance, we begin when you arrive, so take your time. Everybody else does. We will start when you arrive. We start late and leave early. And we stress only seven of the Ten Commandments. And you could choose which three you want to leave out. And you probably like this one. We have 15-minute sermons, including the invitation. And we promise only two verses of Just As I Am will be sung. We are here to please you. God will understand if we forget everything else. And finally, we don't preach about money. Well, that's strange to say because, believe it or not, today we're going to be preaching about money. It's going to take a little longer than 15 minutes, but we're going to be preaching about money. That's the light church, all right? Now, if you have your Bibles, I invite you again to turn to Second Corinthians. We are chapter 8 now. And as you do so, I want to personally thank you for your prayers for Nancy and myself. We're thankful that Nancy is progressing very good. She's feeling very well today, and we trust that might continue. And uh, we thank the Lord for the girls who have been here and able to fill in for me when I'm not around. So we're thankful for that. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Actually, chapters 8 and 9 go together because he's speaking about the same topic on here. I've entitled the message this morning then, Grace Giving Beyond Tithing. Grace Giving Going Beyond Tithing. Paul makes a dramatic change here at, at chapter 8. You remember up to this point he's been talking about himself and his ministry, defending the authenticity of his apostleship and trying to demonstrate to the Corinthians that the charges of the false teachers who had come among them, the Judaizers, were wrong. And in fact, everything that they were charging him of, they were guilty of, in fact. And so he is changing now. He's going to be talking about the needs of the saints and how God has designed it so that the needs of his people could be met by his people in an equal basis uh, if we follow these particular uh, instructions here. Now, Paul is going to use two examples of what he calls grace giving in this chapter. The first one comes from the Macedonian churches. These were churches founded by the Apostle Paul. They include Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. These are churches that Paul uses as models of grace giving. And then, of course, he focuses upon the greatest example of grace giving, and that's Jesus Christ. But he uses it in a way to carry home a practical application. He uses the sacrifice of Christ of giving himself for us because of his grace to illustrate the fact that we are to do the same when it comes to caring for the people of God. Now, Paul is in the background. Paul has been... Uh, trying to collect funds to meet the needs of the Jerusalem saints who were going through a time of difficulty. They were going through an economic 
turn down if you want. You know, we're experiencing the same thing right now. Jerusalem went through it, and now these churches in Macedonia were experiencing the same thing. They were going through an economic downturn, as we would say. So we should feel right at home when we go through this chapter today, because that's the background. Paul is trying to show that when it comes to times like this, the people of God should respond by caring for those who are experiencing difficult economic difficult or problems. Paul wanted the believers to know the very unusual way in which the grace of God had manifested itself among the Christians in the churches of Macedonia. Uh, and he's bringing that home as a basis for his message here, as an example. Now, Gary Friesen wrote a book some time ago called Decision Making in the Will of God. Decision Making in the Will of God. When the book came out, it made quite a stir because he approached the subject in an entirely different way. But he makes a very uh, vital statement in the book. This is what he says. The value of a gift is not determined by its amount, but by the cost to the giver. The question should not be, how much can I spare, but rather, how much can I sacrifice? It should not be, how much can I give, but how much can I give up? Gary Friesen. Now, in this amazing passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, God gives us principles for giving under the new covenant. Remember now, Paul has been emphasizing throughout uh, the book, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the fact that he ministers under the conditions of the new covenant, not the old covenant. And he is now going to teach us how believers are to give under the new covenant, and it's quite different from the way that they were told to give under the old covenant. Now really, when you go to this chapter, just about every verse has a principle for grace giving. There are actually 26 of them. So I'm going to give you a 26-point message today. Not really. We'll start and we'll go as far as we can to give you the 15-minute guarantee. Let's begin at verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Notice what he says. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, what I'm going to show you on the screen is the verse and the principle. And then we just discuss it a little bit, because really the text explains itself. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Here's the principle from this verse. Grace giving is a work of God. Notice, it's a work of God. And serves as an example and model for all Christians to imitate. In other words, the kind of giving that he's going to talk about is a kind of giving that begins with God himself. It doesn't really begin with the believer. It begins with God working in that believer. And when the believer responds to God's working, he becomes an example to all of God's people. That's why Paul is using the churches of Macedonia, because they have responded to the work of God in their lives. We wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. It is something that God himself has given. Now, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
This is a paradoxical verse. I mean, look at them. The contrast here. You have severe trial with overflowing joy. You have extreme poverty with uh, richness in generosity. Those things don't normally go together. That's why this is so outstanding here. Because Paul is saying here, this is a situation the churches of Macedonia. But look how they've turned things upside down, as it were. So my, the principle that I see here is, grace giving draws upon inner joy in times of greatest trouble and gives generously in times of greatest need. In other words, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, the time that we call upon the grace of God is when we face severe trials. Is that not true? And that's when we can get joy in the midst of trials because we are drawing upon the grace of God. And God gives us the grace to undergo difficult trials. And when everybody thinks we should be complaining and criticizing and making noise, we give joy to God for what he's doing in our life. That's drawing upon the enabling grace of God. By the way, the different types of grace mentioned in the Bible. One, of course, is saving grace. That's the grace that God gives us. That's a special gift. We cannot muster this up. We can't force it. We can't pressure people to make it up. This is something that God gives, saving grace. But then there's enabling grace. That's what he's talking about here. God gives us the grace that enables us to give sacrificially, as we will see here. We have a tendency, when we have great needs, to stop giving. Isn't that right? When we have tough economic times, we say, boy, things tough now. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. And in some areas, that's great. But God says, when it comes to giving to help his people, you don't stop giving. You give even more than you used to before. That's grace giving. That's not giving under the old covenant. That's giving under the covenant of grace. In other words, grace giving enables us to give generously in spite of personal financial need. Grace enables us to give to meet the needs of God's people and the work of God in a greater way than we ever did before. That's what happened here in Macedonia churches. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now how can you give more than you're able to give? That seemed to be another paradoxical statement. But Paul says that's the grace of God, able us to do things we cannot do ordinarily. This is a, and we want a supernatural way of giving. It's giving by drawing upon the grace of God. The principle then is this. Grace giving is voluntary, sacrificial giving. And that is the point. It is sacrificial. It goes beyond comfortable or expected giving. Grace giving always goes beyond above what is expected or what we think is okay. Take, for instance, what was taught under the old covenant of the 10%. Paul goes beyond the tithing here. He says grace giving enables us to go beyond what we believe is required. It goes beyond. In other words, what we give is measured by what is left. Grace giving is measured by what is left over after giving, not how much is giving. So God doesn't look so much at how much you give, but really how much you have left after you have given. That's grace giving. Now look at verse 4. The last part of verse 3 says, entirely on their own. In other words, he did not browbeat. He didn't force. He didn't bring the law down on them. 
And he says, if you don't do this, you're going to be cursed. If you don't do this, God will not bless you. He didn't say that. Entirely on their own, completely voluntary, because they're drawing upon the grace of God in their lives. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So it seems that if there's anybody who showed a lack of faith at this time, it was the Apostle Paul. It appears as though he did not ask them for money for the Jerusalem saints because, hey, you're going through a tough time just like them. You're going through an economic downturn. You don't have the money, so I'm not going to ask you to give. These folk did what Paul did not expect. They begged him to help the saints in Jerusalem. This is an amazing thing here. Rather than say, boy, I'm glad Paul isn't coming here to try to get me to give in this situation. Things tough. I got to watch out for me and my family. I'm glad he didn't come here trying to collect from me. No, these folks said, Paul, how in the world could you leave us out of this privilege of helping God's people? Once the need was known to these folk, the grace of God took over in their lives. So, the principle is here. Grace giving is motivated by personal concern and initiative, not outside pressure, and is a privileged ministry rather than an inconvenience or burden. In fact, one of the underlying truths of this passage is that grace giving is actually a ministry because we draw upon the grace of God. Paul is going to mention that in a moment. It's a ministry to give in this fashion. It's a ministry that God encourages all of his people to be involved in. Verse continues in verse 4. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Here's the principle. Grace giving is the natural result of our first giving of ourselves to the Lord. If we truly give ourselves to God, acknowledging that all that we have, all that we are, belongs to him actually, and nothing we have really belongs to us, but he's just entrusted to us as a steward. We are stewards of God's resources. And once we write off everything that we have as belonging to God, grace giving comes automatically. The only reason why we have a problem with giving is because we believe we're giving our own money. Now, if we realize that we're giving what God has given us, things change, you see. And it's very important for us to see this here. It's a first giving of ourselves to God. So in a very real sense, our giving is a measure of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, here's a principle. Grace giving is the natural result of first giving of oneself to the Lord. Our relationship with Christ is the true basis and motivation for giving. If we really believe that God has entrusted us with his resources in order to distribute in the way that he instructs us, then we will do that when we find out the way he wants us to do it. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul made it known that other members of the body of Christ were in need. So the churches of Macedonia automatically reached out. In spite of their own need, they automatically reached out to meet the needs of God's people in Jerusalem. In a very real sense then, our giving as Christians reflect the degree of our intimacy with Jesus Christ. And some of us don't like to hear that, but that's exactly what Paul is teaching here. True spiritual giving is only possible 
if one has first transferred ownership of self and possession to God. We then become stewards and managers of God's possessions rather than our own. So if there's anything that we can do today in order to put us in a position where we can be grace givers, we should write off everything that we have and put it in the name of God and say, I'm transferring all of my resources into your name. You tell me how to utilize them. Verse 6. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Another tremendous passage. First of all, it tells us that Paul had instructed uh, Titus at least a year earlier to begin collecting uh, from the Corinthians money for the Jerusalem churches. It seems that Corinth was not a part of this economic breakdown. Looks like they had funds available. And he said to bring to completion, in other words, to finish up what he started, this act of grace on your part. Notice it's called, the giving is called what? An act of grace. It's an act, is an action that is motivated by the grace of God. Grace of God that we draw upon for our salvation. Grace of God that we draw upon to meet difficulties in our lives. But this is an enabling grace that causes us to give sacrificially to others who are in need. So, verse 6, I see a principle here. Grace giving is an act of grace which can be encouraged by others. In other words, the way Paul is doing and the way Titus is doing, act of grace giving can be encouraged by others. We can motivate you, we can encourage you, we can stimulate you to become a grace giver rather than a command giver. That's what it was under the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not an old covenant of grace. It was a covenant of law. The new covenant is a new covenant of grace. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is not the kind of giving that is totally void of the proper kind of encouragement and challenging to others. In other words, it doesn't say you don't make the need known. Paul did make the need known. He did that. So there are some people who feel that they should not make any known any need known to God. Because God will take care of it. Now God will take care of it. Already, but most of the times he uses his people to meet that need. Paul has no problem with the need being known. Not that we beg for it, but just simply known, hey, here's the situation. Members of the body of Christ over here are suffering. Now what are you going to do about it? Then, as you thank God for the grace you've experienced in your life, that grace then reaches out to others. Titus then was the one on Paul's behalf who had first made an appeal to the Corinthians at least a year earlier. They responded well back then, at least verbally. In other words, when the, known was first, when the, when the need was first known, everybody, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to help. But it seems that they didn't. In other words, it seems as though they made a faith promise but didn't carry through. We can talk a little bit about the faith promise because I believe that's another concept that we have misinterpreted uh, when it comes to scripture here. They seem to have responded well to the idea, yes, Paul, we are ready to help the saints at Jerusalem. But no cash was yet on hand. Paul tells the Corinthians that he had instructed Titus to close the deal and collect what was promised. 
He wants them to be true to their commitment, true to their vow. So he is really appealing to their integrity now. And he's not begging them. He just simply says, you made a promise, you made a commitment, it's time for you to put up. That's what he's saying here. By the way, and so many practical implications here now. When you go to 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is saying, I want you to put aside this stuff until I come. Why? Because I don't want to take up an offering. Now, isn't that strange? He said, I don't want no bag pass around when I come. I want you to have things ready. Now, of course, we do things differently here, right, don't we? We just like to pass the bag around to see what we could collect. Paul says, no, I make the need known. You make a commitment as to what you want to give, and you give it. Now, many people take this as the basis for the way we do collections here today. In other words, whenever we meet, we pass the bag around. Paul would never teach that. He talks about determining in your own heart how much you're going to give, and you give it. So when you do come, you come already ready to give what you had planned to give, based on how the Lord has blessed you. And when you come, you give that. You don't wait until the plate comes around, push your hand in your pocket and see what you got changed left there, and pull it out and you give it. That's not giving according to Paul under the new covenant. You should come prepared. That's why, personally, uh, I believe, like I'm friendly with the way we work it here, when you come to the Lord's, uh, when you come to service on the Lord's day, you come already uh, prepared with the amount you're supposed to give. So when you come back out Sunday evening, you don't have to give again. I know the deacons are probably going to shoot me for this, but I'm talking about those of you who give according to your planning. You know what I'm saying? You give it once. You don't have to keep giving it every time the bag comes around. Because most of the time you only give it in that fashion so you can make people think you're giving something. You see? But you come prepared to give, and you give it once. In fact, I remember when I first came here, I was talking about the idea of giving. And I didn't like the idea of passing the bag around. I really think, it, it, to me, it's a humiliating thing for the people of God to be doing. I really believe if we're going to give according to grace, we come prepared to give, and we go look for the bag. We go look for the box. We go look for the deacons. We go look for the pastors to give them the funds. We don't have to wait for it to be passed around and then get and just to give so we could feel a little relief or something. That's what Paul is talking about here. Giving motivated by God's grace. Something that is pre-planned, that is determined. We'll talk more about that later on. Now notice what he says. And this is an important aspect as we miss this out when we talk about giving. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel, notice again, in this grace of giving. Now remember, Paul had commended them for the amount of spiritual gifts that were present in the church at Corinth. They were known for their spiritual gifts. Paul says, now, the same way you excel in those gifts, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. In other words, the principle as I see it here is this. Grace giving is as important in the Christian's life, character, and spiritual growth as are the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. In other words, in a real sense, giving in this way is a mark or an indication of our 
Christian maturity, our Christian character. It's a part of who we are as believers or should be as believers. Just as you excel in everything, in the gift of faith, in the gift of speech, in the gift of knowledge, in complete earnestness and your love for us. That's the gift. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Your love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. So he says here that grace giving is on the same, on the same level as we want as spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. This is an amazing passage of scripture here. And it shows once again the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. There is no command given here anything. There's no threat here. If you don't give, God is not going to bless you. If you don't give, God is going to curse you. Like I hear some preachers preach when it comes to the tithe. If you don't give your tithe, God is not going to bless you. God is going to curse you if you don't give. The Bible does not teach that in the New Testament. And we are not under the old covenant now. We are under the new covenant. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Remember, when Paul had commended the Corinthians for the abundance of their spiritual gifts. Now he, makes the, now he makes the point that grace giving is also a spiritual virtue. Grace giving is a spiritual virtue. In other words, grace giving is an essential means and mark of spiritual maturity. It's those who who are drawing upon the grace of God who gives in this fashion, and it's an indication of spiritual maturity. Notice this now, and this is really a difference from the old covenant. I am not commanding you. Did you see that? I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He says, now what I'm talking about, I'm not commanding this. This is not command because this is the new covenant now. He's not appealing to law written on stones externally. He's appealing to grace and love written within the hearts of the believers. Grace giving is a test and measure of the reality of our love for Christ and other believers. That is what is going on here. Grace giving is a test and measure of the reality of our love for Christ and other believers. So in the context of the Corinthians... He's saying to the Corinthians now, you have boasted in your spiritual gifts and everything else. And you have made a commitment a year ago about giving, but nothing has happened yet. I come to Macedonia here. These people are going through an economic downturn and they are giving in a remarkable way. Now, I want to see now whether or not your love is on the same level as theirs. That's what he's saying. In other words, he's challenging Corinth with the way that the churches in Macedonia gave in a sacrificial way. And Paul uses that. And that's a legitimate thing to say to God's people. Look at that individual there. He is undergoing a tough time. He didn't know where he would pay his rent, but yet look at how he gave his money to help somebody else pay, pay their rent. We can do that to encourage others to give along this fashion. There's no command here. His appeal is based on love. And that's the core of the new covenant. Not a commandment, but an appeal to love. Then Paul provides now the greatest example and model of grace given, grace giving given anywhere in the word of God. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is now this is the example that goes beyond the examples of Macedonia. But yet it was the Macedonians who based how they gave on the way Jesus gave. The principle here then is this. Grace giving as a test of love is perfectly exemplified in Christ himself giving himself sacrificially for us. Our grace giving to help the people of God can or should be able to be compared with the giving Jesus himself. That's the point here. Christian giving under the new covenant then is based on the grace of God and patterned after the giving of Jesus Christ himself as a sacrifice for sin. And the underlying factor of Christ's giving was what? Sacrifice. It wasn't just going to what he was able to do. It goes beyond. It has to do with sacrifice. The appeal then is to love, not a commandment. And friends, there's no greater basis or motivation for Christian giving anywhere else in Scripture than what is shown in this verse. There can be no doubt whatsoever that the principles concerning giving as taught in these chapters constitute what can properly and biblically be called God's way of giving under the new covenant. And nowhere is tithing by command giving. It all has to do with a voluntary love and giving because we experience the grace of God. Much more can be said here, but let's move on to verse 10. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So you set off pretty well. Now finish the work. You started well, but you didn't finish. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. Notice now, according to your means. Paul says you made a commitment. You haven't finished that. Your commitment has not been made yet. I want you to complete it. But now I want you to complete it according to your means. This is where I believe we have a twisted idea of what faith giving is. Here's the, here is the uh, verse 12. I'll go on verse 12 first. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. You see, it appears as though these Corinthians had made what we call a faith promise. Lord, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. I know where you're coming from, but I feel that that's what you want me to give. Paul said, that's not the way to give. He says, you give according to what? What you have, not what you do not have. Now, he's going to show that faith, or rather grace giving, goes into the sacrificial part of this. You give according to what you have, but you give more than that. Sacrifice, something you think you could not do without. In other words, rather than buying a 54-inch TV, you will buy a 45-inch TV. You see, rather than buying a Lexus, you're going to buy... i got to be careful because we get some people who sell cars here, and I don't want to get in trouble here. You see, I was, I was going to say, what's the little car name that I used to drive around? Um, Suzuki, Suzuki, yeah, that's right, Suzuki. You know, that's the car. So Paul says, hey, you can still get around in that car. You don't have to get this one. That's the point. That's sacrificial giving, you see. 
And But sometimes they say, oh no. Like I know some people, you know, we try to help people here. And they would come and we'd try to look into their needs. And some, I remember one carefully, one person telling me, now I have some money set aside for my vacation. But I don't want to touch that. And yet they come to us wanting us to give them the church money because they don't want to touch the money that they've saved for their vacation. You see? Now that's not sacrificial giving. Right? All right. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Here, here's the principle. Grace giving is both spontaneous. In other words, you can give sacrificially as soon and as immediately you hear about a need. But you can also make a promise to give more based on a sacrificial but a, a, a sacrificial decision. But Paul says, if you make that, I want you to complete it. It's based upon personal desire, which is to be fulfilled according to one's present means, not what he does not actually have. And as I mentioned, it seems as though the Corinthians had made what some call a faith promise, but failed to live up to it. Paul is now explaining that grace giving is the best and most biblical way to give. This is why I call what we call a faith promise a faith investment, you see. Because I, don't, I really have a problem because it, to me it goes contrary to this passage of scripture. They're saying that I make a promise to give what I don't have because I've just thought about it and I'm going to pray and ask God to give me this. Now that sounds good and fine if you believe God is leading you in that fashion, fine. But I'm saying I do not see that approach here in scripture at all. In fact, I just see the opposite. You give more than you think you can give of what you have right now. That's sacrificial giving. Notice again, according to this passage, the believer is not expected to give more than he or she is able to give sacrificially. Talking about sacrificial giving now. Verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that they might be equality. In other words, he says... I'm not asking people to give up money so that they would be in need while they meet your need. That's not my point. I'm not asking for that at all. He's going to be talking about equality. And he's going to demonstrate that if all of God's people give according to this fashion, everything will be worked out in an equal fashion. Sometimes the person who has money now, God has given that money so he could meet the needs of other people. It might happen that they will have a need later on and the people that they gave will be in a position to help them. That's what he calls equality. Our desire is not that others may be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. God is saying that he distributes his money to God's people in such a way that if we give in this fashion, all our needs will be met by God's people at the proper time because there are going to be times when when we who give are going to have a need later on. And the ones we're giving to now might be in a position to give to us. That's what he called equality in the giving of the body. As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little 
did not have too little. That's equality. That's the way God works it out. If we use it properly. He's talking about what happened with the manna, you remember? He says, listen, you just take enough for what you need now. Don't go out and try to hoard, put a lot of it and think I can save it tomorrow. No, no, no. And even those who did go out and try to do that, they found out that once they utilized what is necessary for the people of their family at that time, then everything was finished. Those who didn't have enough of it, they found that they did have enough. And that's the same idea of equality God is. God will work it out, in other words, if we give according to the way he has planned. So the principle here is this. Grace giving does not deprive the giver of necessities, but brings about equality among believers. And this is an ongoing basis thing, by the way. This is, that's why it hurts me sometimes, because I know of individuals who have been helped by people when they had a good business, they're doing well. They've helped others. Then the person who had a good business or was doing well, all of a sudden had hard times. And then they go trying to get help from the people that they've helped before, and they turn down flat. Can't help and got no money, I'm not willing to sacrifice anything. That's not the kind of giving he's talking about here. He's talking about a giving that is sacrificial because we draw upon the grace of God to give. Now, as I say, I have about 15 other points for this one, but I'll pick it up this evening and invite you to come out as we go through this, and we'll have questions, especially on the tithe, if you'd like, this evening. Let's close in the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that all that we have, all that we are, are because of your grace towards us. Nothing that we have or are is because it actually belongs to us. We're just stewards. Help us to be faithful. Help us to learn from these passages of Scripture what it means to give in a gracious way and to give sacrificially in a way that meets the need of the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.